Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Uh, well, uh, thank you all, those of you here who braved uh, the elements. It is cold out there. For those of you watching online, um, it's going to be a balmy 50-some degrees this week. So get your behinds back in church. Quit watching on, on, on YouTube. Um, so we are jumping into the book of Revelation. That is what we're doing. But I do want to stop to say, it's just, I, I got up really early this morning, which is typically, I just have water up here. I got coffee uh, because I got up really early this morning. Um, and the first thing I saw on my phone is I was walking my wife's demon-possessed puppies downstairs to feed them was the message from Patrick that the first service of Christ Community Church Uganda had launched. I mean, you guys, so many of you took Patrick and Eddie, you know, into your lives, into your homes, and for six years they were here, did their bachelor's degree in Bible, did their master's degree, and now they're leading that church. We built a fresh water well there, then we built the church. Next up is the school, and so Patrick and Eddie will not only be preaching there, they'll be teaching kids there and, and recruiting Christians to teach there. It'll be an all-Christian school. Praise God. It's uh, just, just amazing. Um, now, Revelation, before we get going, in your bulletin, I had Paula put a little insert there in for you. If you've missed any of the inserts, let me know. I can get you copies. Two things there. Um, the first is what I call the symbol scorecard. If you want to be able to read and understand the book of Revelation, and my goal is that over the next few months as we read through this book, you will understand the book of Revelation. Once you understand that they're using symbols of that day and from the Old Testament, and you get those, and you see what was going on at the time, it's not a hard book to understand. It is, however, a hard book to accept because the message is tough. Because it's basically saying to Christians, Jesus is saying to Christians, I have given you eternal life. I went to the cross to die in your place for your sins. I owe you nothing in this life. In this life, you may have to suffer even to the point of death. That's the message of the book of Revelation. It's tough. So there's a symbol scorecard there for the first three chapters. Some of the symbols are explained. Like next week when we wrap up chapter 1, you're going to see that Jesus clearly explains the seven lampstands are the seven churches and all that kind of stuff. You, you, you know, you'll see all that, the seven stars or the seven angels. We'll, we'll get into all that next week. But if you want to start reading through chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Revelation, you've got a little insert there where all the symbols are explained to you so you can understand what's going on. That is one. On the back side of that is a list of books that I would recommend to help you. And, and I put under there um, two things. One, uh, these, these are all good books, but I don't agree with everything in them. But I agree with at least 90% of it, and there are some videos I recommend, including a documentary that you can rent on Amazon Prime. 
I tried to find if the Lord had put it up somewhere for free. <laughs> I couldn't find it. Uh, but you can go on earth as it is and heaven is a good documentary. And you can check out any of those books. Those books will help you understand the book of Revelation. Okie dokie. We're going to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. We've had two weeks of introduction, and now we're jumping in. And just real quick, real quick, two minutes to recap what we have seen. 64 A.D. 64 A.D. was a monumental year for the Christian church. The reason for that was that in Rome, the capital of the empire, in which the entire New Testament is set, it's all within the Roman Empire, we see that Nero, the Caesar, or king at the time, Nero, who was, by all accounts, even those closest to him, a narcissistic sociopath, began to persecute the Christian church. Rome had burnt. 71% of the city of Rome had been burnt to the ground. Most people were convinced that Nero had it burned to the ground to launch his great building project, and that's because Nero did have it burned to the ground. There is good evidence that, in fact, yes, he did. And Nero was a monster. He murdered his own mother. He murdered two of his wives. He murdered his brother. He murdered his aunt. He tortured Christians in unimaginable ways. When you see Revelation talk about the tribulation, it's talking about Nero. And it's talking about the horrendous things that were to face the church. The Apostle John has been exiled to the island, little island of Patmos. <clears throat> now, we don't know what kind of exile it was in the Roman Empire. There were several different kinds of exile. The first kind was the lightest. It just meant we're kicking you out of this area and don't come back until we tell you you can come back. Get out of town. That could have been it. We know from church history that the Apostle John spent a lot of time in the city of Ephesus, which they called Asia. Today we call Turkey. And John was there, and he was exiled by the uh, Roman government over Ephesus, and he was sent to Patmos, an island about 30 miles out to sea. Now, it could have been they just said, go there and stay there, or the second kind of exile was he could have been exiled to hard labor. There was a rock quarry there. And so John may have been sent there. And he is there, and he is worshiping, as we'll see. He is praying, and he is worshiping. And the average Christian in the first century, what they did is they met twice a day. The Christian church, early Christian church, met twice a day. First in the morning. They would meet as the sun was coming up because they were expected to be at work once the sun was up. And so they would meet as the sun was coming up, and they would pray for each other, and they would sing hymns to God. And then they would meet that night to come together, pray again, 
they would have the Lord's Supper, but that, that meant eating with each other, eating a full meal. That was their Lord's Supper. And then the pastors slash elders would lead a Bible study. That was the early church. And so as we'll see here in a second, we find John. It says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So on a Sunday, Sunday morning, he is probably out, out on the beach of Patmos, before the sun comes up, he is praying and he is worshiping God. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And he says, I'm going to show you these visions and you're going to write them down and then you're going to send them to seven churches in Asia or Turkey. And what Jesus was showing him was that the hammer was going to come down on them for three and a half years. Nero persecuted the church viciously for three and a half years. And he was aided by the leadership of the temple in Jerusalem. He loved the temple in Jerusalem. As I told you last week, there was a pagan prophecy that was told to Nero that if he ever lost his, his title as Caesar, he would be king of Jerusalem. So he loved the Jewish people, he loved the temple, and he loved Jerusalem. And, and so when he was looking for a scapegoat to blame the fires on, the chief priests in Jerusalem said, I got an idea, the Christians. Because they hated the Christians. We see in the book of Acts, the only enemy the early church had was the Jewish leadership, the high temple leadership in Jerusalem. They killed Jesus, they killed Stephen, they killed James, the brother of John. They sent Saul out to persecute the church before he was converted became Paul. They then tried to kill Paul. They eventually killed James, the brother of Jesus, throwing him off the top of the temple. This is what Christians were facing. So this is where we pick up. Chapter 1, verse 1. And your nerdy pastor, this is my own translation, so, hopefully it won't be horrible. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to stop right there. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is both the title of the book and the purpose of the book. Revelation, and again, I'm going to say this over and over, because when he gets back from Uganda, we have amongst us typically a somewhat crusty 86-year-old pastor who will remain nameless, who if you say revelations, he'll go, I don't know what that is. I know what the book of Revelation is. I don't know what revelations is. I've heard him say that for 51 years. The revelation of Jesus Christ, revealing, remember, the Greek word apocalypse doesn't mean how we use it. The Greek term apocalypse means an unveiling, a revealing, and it's revealing who Jesus Christ is now on his throne. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, that's God gave to the Son, to show his servants, or slaves, what things must happen quickly. Quickly, the word there is quickly. Not 2,000 years in the future, quickly. And he clearly explained it 
Your Bible may say signified or whatever. It's no, no, no. The Greek is he clearly explained it by sending it through his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ inasmuch as he saw. Blessed are those who read and those who hear the words of this prophecy and strictly keep it, obey it. There's a lot there. First things first. The word blessed, the word blessed in Greek, makarios, blessed. Blessed does not mean what a lot of television and internet preachers say it means. It does not mean that if you're blessed by God, that you get cash, six-pack abs, a long life, and you never get sick. That is not what it means. Blessed means to be in divine favor because you're reflecting the divine to others. It means God is happy with you because you are in your life showing what Jesus looks like to others. That's what it means to be blessed. Blessed are those who read and those who hear the words of this prophecy, prophesying what is soon to come, and strictly keep it, what is written in it, for the appointed time is near, near, quickly, near. Not 2,000 years in the future, quickly, near. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you all and peace from who is and was and is coming and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Little thing there will tell you, the seven spirits are the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the faithful witness How was Jesus Christ the faithful witness? Because he suffered and died as the Father wanted him to do. He was faithful to the Father's plan, and through his suffering and death, he witnessed to the world. The word witness in Greek, martus, martus, so many Christians died calling themselves faithful witnesses faithful martus, that the Greek word for witness eventually became martyr. Martyr, to die for the faith. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and notice this, and the ruler of kings of the earth. Ruler of kings of the earth. The Jesus Christ who's revealing all this and is, 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 we're seeing him rules the universe. He is king of all that is. And by making this claim, he is challenging the belief that Caesar in Rome had absolute power. When Rome minted its coins, that'll be important for later, 
Often there would be a portrait of the emperor and something saying something about Caesar being either divine or the son of God. And what Jesus is saying here is, (laughs) really? Let's take a look at that, shall we? While John is writing this, there have been five Caesars. The sixth is on the throne. Julius Caesar, dead. Augustus, dead. Tiberius, dead. Caligula, dead. Claudius, dead. Nero, now dead. Jesus, alive. Who gets to call themselves king? And then he adds this. He's not just king, not just a faithful witness. To him who loves us and freed us from our sin by his blood. We'll come back to that. And he has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. So to him be glory and power for age upon age, truly. The one who is commanding us, as we will see soon, to be faithful witnesses. To be faithful even unto the point of death is the one who is a faithful witness himself. And through his death on the cross, freed us not only from the fear of hell, not only because those of us who simply place our faith in Jesus Christ know that he paid the penalty for every sin we would ever commit on the cross, And for that, because of that grace, we inherit an eternity with God. But he also says he freed us from slavery to sin. Because when you come to faith, you receive the Holy Spirit. And through prayer and worship and study and loving each other and and witnessing for Jesus Christ, we grow and we grow away from our sin and closer to Jesus Christ. You are a slave. You are a slave. The Bible makes it very clear. You are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to Jesus Christ. There is no third option. That's it. Paul makes that clear in Romans 6. Romans 6.14, he said, Sin is no longer your master. He's writing to Christians. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness living righteous in the bible means right standing with god one or the other 
And he has freed us from that. And so for that, John says, may he receive glory and honor forever and ever. Now, again, glory is one of those churchy words we use and never really define. And so people go around and go, glory to God, glory to God, glory, and they have no idea what they're saying. Right? Like, amen. You know, I'll ask, I've asked Christians because I have a bit, just a bit, it's going to shock you, a bit of a sarcastic streak. It's one of my spiritual gifts, folks. And so, I'll ask Christians sometimes, what do you think amen means? And they go, um, amen? I said, yeah, but what does it mean? Amen. Okay, we're going in circles here. Amen means truly. Truly. So you see Jesus say all the time, this, 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 that, and the other. Amen. He's saying, this is this. Truly, I am telling you. That's what he's saying. Glory means to speak well of, to boast about. <laughs> I was taking a, a class one time, and this preacher, nice guy, but theologically, he, we weren't on the same page. And I was talking about the glory to God, and all honor and glory goes to God. And that if I, if I do a good job in, in preaching, then I get nervous because I'm not supposed to get the praise for that. God's supposed to get the praise for that. And the preacher looked at me and said, well, come on, that's not a big deal. You're talking about God. The way you're talking about God, Matt, God is selfish. I said, is there anyone else who deserves to be selfish? If God calls himself perfect, if God calls himself great, if God calls himself wise, if God says I am all-powerful, all this, all that, he's not boasting, he's being honest. That's who he is. Speak well of God. Speak well of Christ. For he receives, he deserves to receive that honor, that glory. Verse 7 says, Look, he is coming with the clouds. Now, there's a little thing in your sheet there in your insert. Again, you can go back as we did last week and look at Isaiah. You can look at other places. When God comes with a cloud, that is not second coming language. That is judgment language. When God comes on the cloud, he is coming to judge. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And they will all see him, even those who crucified him. Which means this is pretty, pretty soon after his crucifixion. In fact, within 40 years. Even those who crucified him and will mourn because of him all the tribes of the land. Yes, truly, 
And finally, verse 8, I, I, and I didn't stutter there. The Greek actually says, I, I. That's when it's really emphasizing. I, I, and the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. The book of Revelations, I said, has two distinct messages. For Christians, it is, you may have to suffer for your faith. For non-Christians, it is, God will judge. God judged those who persecuted his church. He allowed the persecution to happen for three and a half years. Why? Because he says, you will be powerful witnesses for me through your persecution. Those to whom he has given eternal life, he wasn't that concerned about a few short moments this side of eternity. Is I can't remember if I said this last week in here or the Saturday service in the chapel, but I've said this, the most powerful Christian witness I have ever seen has not been from any pulpit. And I've seen some good preachers. When I, when I traveled for my job, when I was a traveling Christian attorney, I know that seems like a contradiction in terms. And I would go, I would travel all over the country. I, I went to go see, I went to very big churches, got to see people preach like Matt Chandler and others, and, and, and I've seen some great preaching. But the most powerful testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ I have ever seen was not in a church building, but in a hospice bed. When you're watching someone wither away from the evil that is cancer and they reach out to their friends and family and ask to pray with them and ask to pray for them and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, that is power. My dad had a good friend who was dying of cancer. And he had a list of people he wanted Dad to bring to see him. And so Dad brought as many as he could. And they would walk up to his bed, and he would look up at them. And he'd say, look, don't touch me because it hurts. But sit down and know, I will die soon. There's nothing else to be done. I will die, and I go to be with the Lord. And he would look at his friends and say, but I don't want to go until you pray with me and I know you'll be there too one day. What Jesus is telling his church is I'm going to allow the temple and Rome to persecute you for three and a half years so that you will be a faithful witness for me. And they were. Nero tried to destroy the church. 
the temple tried to destroy the church. All they did was throw gasoline on a fire. It grew. It grew. And Jesus says, I saved you from slavery now. I saved you from eternal death. And now I will make you. I will make you a citizen of my kingdom and a priest. We are those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't, please come up and see me afterwards. I'll just sit right there. A citizen of the kingdom, the kingdom of God has been bantered around a lot by church leaders and writers and so forth. And it always, it's amazing to me how often people will make the kingdom of God sound like exactly what they want. But the face of the kingdom of God is not our own desires. The face of the kingdom of God is the king, Jesus Christ. The kingdom is about the king. And so if we are citizens of this kingdom, we are to serve our king. The kingdom of God is God's people being reigned over, happily being reigned over by Jesus Christ. Happily being servants or even slaves, if you will, to Jesus Christ. And he has made us priests. Why? We don't have a temple anymore. We never will have another temple. We don't need one. That's one of the things that drive me crazy about the whole like left behind stuff and all that kind of stuff. All those preachers on TV. One day there'll be another Jewish temple. Why? We're going to start offering animal sacrifices again? Jesus paid our sacrifice once and for all. It's done. There's no need for any more sacrifice. A temple is where you go to sacrifice to God and to offer prayers to God and to meet God. All those things are wrapped up in Jesus Christ once and for all. No need for any more. Priests serve God by offering the prayers of the people and they offer their sacrifices. We are priests that still offer prayers for the people. You should be praying for anyone around you, not just those who are hurting, though that's important. In your bulletin, there's always a list of people who are hurting. And we've got a bunch of them. We've got a bunch of people in the hospital right now. You should be praying for them, but we also pray for those of us who don't have faith in Jesus Christ. We pray for our friends, our family, our co-workers that don't have faith in Jesus Christ. That they would come to know the Lord of the universe, the ruler of kings, the faithful witness. And we don't offer sacrifices for them. We sacrifice to serve them. We sacrifice our time and our money to help those in need. That's what it means to be a priest of the kingdom of God.
And we may, we have it, the simple fact is, we have it very easy in this country. If we share the gospel, if we are faithful servants to our king, if we are good citizens of the kingdom, and we are good priests to God, some people will get upset with us. They might, they might unfriend you on Facebook. Oh, heaven forbid. When you read through this book, remember how easy we have it compared to the early church, but remember in prayer our dear brothers Eddie and Patrick in Uganda. Before he died, the emperor dictator of Libya, Muammar Gaddafi, spent $1 billion, billion with a B, on mosques in Uganda. Islam is very, very tempting to young men in Uganda. You can kill for your faith under radical Islam. And if you die trying to kill for your faith, you get a harem of women. That's what they promise. And so it seems like not a week goes by that when I look at the Christian post or I look at the voice of the martyrs that I see that yet another Christian missionary or pastor has been killed in Uganda. We might get people, if we share the gospel, if we are faithful to Christ, we might get co-workers or friends or family who roll their eyes at us. Eddie and Patrick are under the gun. Be praying for them. But I've talked to those young men, and they wouldn't have it any other way. Because they desire to be faithful witnesses for the ruler of kings. We have to be willing to die. The problem with the church and the West, Europe and North America, is we have not been so passionate that we irritate people. Not enough. One pastor joked, teaching through the book of Revelation, the problem with Christians today is nobody wants to kill us. But we are called in this book to be willing to die. And if you think about it, if Jesus gave his perfect life to give us a perfect eternity, what is it to give him our imperfect lives so that others might have a perfect eternity?
I was thinking about this this week. I don't know how many of you have seen this. I, I don't go on Facebook too often because I'm committed to keeping my um, sanity. But somebody was sharing some video of a hundred and some year old World War II vet meeting his great grandchild for the first time. It got me thinking because we're losing World War II veterans like just left and right. Just thinking about it. In World War II, the United States, I don't know if you know this or not, sent 16.1 million people to war. 16.1 million. My maternal grandfather was one of them. He closed up his shop in Grayson, Kentucky, and joined the U.S. Navy a few days after Pearl Harbor. Served on a battleship, somehow survived. Of those 16.1 million that went to war, more than 400,000 Americans died. They died to fight the evil of fascism so that we might have 70, 80, if we're lucky, 90 years of liberty. And we honor their sacrifice, and we should. We should. I was reading a story this week about a couple of those men, two pastors, two pastors, one pastor from Ohio, his last name was Poling. He was from Ohio, but at the time World War II broke out, he was serving a church in New York. I served a church in New York, they need all the help they can get. Another pastor was by the name of George Fox. He was a pastor from Vermont. So after Pearl Harbor, they both signed up, and they both were assigned to the chaplain corps. Two different men from two very different backgrounds. They met in Boston, where they received chaplain training, and then they were sent off. Before Pastor Poling left port, he wrote his father a letter. He asked his father to pray for him, but he wrote, Do not pray for my safe return. That would not be fair. Just pray that I shall do my duty, that I shall never be a coward, and that I will have the strength, the courage, and the trust of the men just pray that I shall be adequate to the job. In February, they climbed aboard the U.S. Dorchester, and they set sail for Europe. It was going to be a nasty voyage. 
they had to go through the North Atlantic around Greenland. And the sea there is notoriously violent, very cold. Icebergs. And the men wrote that they could either go on deck and freeze to death, or they could go down below with the other 959 men crammed into the bottom of the boat and sweat to death. 960 men headed towards Europe. But on February 3rd, a German submarine slammed two torpedoes into the U.S. Dorchester. The ship sank in 27 minutes. The men who survived, 230 out of 960, when they got into the lifeboats, they rowed as fast as they could away from the ship, because if you know anything about that, if you're close to the ship, they were going to get sucked down under with it. But everyone on those lifeboats reported the same thing. The last time they saw those two chaplains alive, they had on their lap the heads of several dying soldiers who could not make it into the lifeboats. They were holding them and saying the Lord's Prayer. That's the last anyone saw of them. We rightfully call those two chaplains heroes. Jesus called them faithful. Faithful. And the reason we have this book today is Jesus is still calling for his people to be faithful even unto death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. As difficult as it is, none of us want to suffer. We pray for those who do suffer. But Heavenly Father, we know also from your word that you went to the cross for us. You suffered for us. You suffered to give us eternity. You received nothing. We receive everything. May we remind ourselves through your word every single day of that so that we all will be faithful witnesses for you. We pray this in Jesus' name your faithful witness, and truly the ruler of kings. In his name, amen. God bless you. God goes with you. I'm going to sit right here, and the reason is, one, I'll take any questions or meet with anybody. Also, I can see right out in the parking lot, and I get to see who gets to run fastest to their car. All right? Lord willing, see you next week. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net.
or check out our Facebook page.